Welcome to the High Prices Church Podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now, here's lead pastor, Chris Sestar. I love it when the Lord deals with me and puts something in my spirit and I know that I know that I know that I know that it's the right word at the right time and this is one of those. It's a text I've never preached before. I'm going to probably start out doing some teaching, laying a foundation, and then you know how we Pentecostal preachers are. At some point, we're going to cut loose. I might cut loose a little bit. I don't really have a long sermon. Now, sometimes I say that and jinx myself. But I know this much. I want to give you what God says I need to give you, and then I'm going to get open these altars, and I think some, God's going to touch some people down here. Come on, I said God's going to touch some people down here. The altars where man meets with God and God meets with man. You ought to want to get to the altar and let God touch you. He can touch you back there. But when you get out of that seat and come down here, there's something about that makes a difference. You look good today, by the way. I want to say something before I get started. Sickness is trying to get out of here. I know it's still around and you can look around. We went back to one service pre-COVID, right, right at COVID and... and uh, and, and obviously, uh, we're filling up the place. Uh, believe it or not, we're still not at 80%. I know you probably have a hard time believing that. I think we have 550 chairs, maybe a little bit more than that in here. And, and uh, we're, we're not quite at 80. We've come close a few times. We've gone over it once or twice. So I'm going to keep preaching, and you just keep squitching in. How we say it down south, and 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 the uh, great thing about these chairs—they're called pew chairs, and and so you can sit on the crack. We can get more people on there than than just what the chairs dictate. I also know that it gets uncomfortable at some point. I'm thinking maybe around 99, we'll look at it. 99 percent, we'll look at it. No, we'll look at it before then. I don't want to go back to two services. I don't. We're having too much fun in one, aren't we? Same time, we cannot be selfish and hinder the growth of the church and what God wants to do. So you pray for me. Why do we talk in the third person? I almost said pray for your pastor. It's like, who is he? Oh, that's me. Uh, but, but just pray for me and for the leadership that God, we're beating around some ideas. I'm actually going to talk to a structural engineer and see if maybe we could do something, maybe do a balcony, and uh, I don't know. I don't know what we could do. I don't know what we could do. But I don't want to be selfish because Anderson's growing. Our church is growing. This is exciting, and, uh, and I don't want to stop what the Lord's doing. And you just keep coming and inviting people, and we'll find a way. We'll do something. We'll get everybody 30 and under just come down here and sit on the floor because they're young. They can handle it. Some of us, we get down, it takes a while to get back up. Aren't you glad those are our church problems? Those are the kind of church problems I like. I love the book of Hebrews, and I want to go there to chapter 6. Never preached this text before. It's so funny, last Sunday I preached a message how many times? I've preached it multiple times to you, and this one I've never preached it before. I want to begin at verse 13. I'm going to go ahead and steal my own thunder 
Because sometimes preparatory work helps us that God can work quicker in us. When it's all said and done, you'll hear me say it again. God told me to come here today and tell you folks there is hope for you. Some of you needed to hear that. There is hope for you. So let's talk about it. Let's get let's let God's word speak to us. Verse 13 of Hebrews 6. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so, after he had patiently endured, talking about Abraham, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus, God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to do what? To lay hold of the hope set before us. And this hope, hallelujah, we have as an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast and which enters the, what does? The hope, get the picture. I'll get to it in a minute. The hope enters the presence behind the veil. If you're not figuring what that is, that's the Holy of Holies in the temple. Had a veil as thick as my hand is wide. The hope goes into the presence of God in the Holy of Holies in the temple where who else is there? The forerunner has entered for us even Jesus having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Ooh, that verse is loaded. You can be seated. You've been standing a while. Now, I have been living long enough to know that most of us, if not all of us, have major events that happen in our lives. When I say that, you're probably thinking right now of some major events that have happened in your life. For me, there is one that none will ever surpass, and that is the moment I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And he washed my sins away, and I became born again and transformed and changed by the power of God. That was the greatest event that ever happened in my life. Anybody want to wave their hand and say, Pastor, that's me too. Nothing will ever surpass that. But I've had some other great events in my life. The day I married my wonderful, sweet, beautiful, charming, intelligent, lovely, funny wife, Leah, uh, was, was probably one of the greatest events of my life. Uh, 35 plus years now we've been together. She needs a medal just for putting up with me. When my two sons were born, those were great events. Every moment with a grandchild is a great event. All the grandparents said, amen. amen. I mean, even the bad ones, they're all great events. Um, 
And, you know, those are kind of the things that are normal in life. I had some, I've had some unusual. I couldn't go through all the graphs. I've had some really cool things happen to me in my life, and, and it's been neat. Probably the one, that's, instead of one recent one that was a long time ago, when I, in 1987 when I was in college, uh, and I've referred to this sometimes through the years because it was so impactful on me. In 1987, I was in a singing group with our, our college, our Bible college, and we literally, in three weeks, literally, I traveled around the world. You are looking at a man who can actually say, I have been around the world. Because in three weeks, we started in Atlanta to, to California, went to Hawaii, went to Tokyo, Japan, to Okinawa, flew all the way on a 20-something hour flight to Frankfurt, Germany, and ministered all over Germany, and then went to England, came back across the Atlantic, and flew back in uh, to Atlanta and came back in three three weeks. I was out of the country and literally went around the world. That was that was a life changing event for me. We all have those major events. The Bible patriarch Abraham, if you've ever read his life, had two major events happen to him. One was the miraculous birth of his son Isaac. The other one was the moment when God commanded him to take Isaac, who was much older at this point, probably was an older teenager, and said, take him up on Mount Moriah and sacrifice him to me. Now, God was never going to let that happen because that's, God doesn't believe in human sacrifice. There was a whole purpose behind that whole event. But these two events are very significant for Abraham because of what they represent. The first one, Abraham was old. He and Sarah were past childbearing years, okay? So what he wanted, and he wanted a son, was something he could not get on his own, which created a sense of helplessness, all right? The other event, taking his son up and actually thrusting a knife through him and killing him, uh, would have cost him the person that he loved deeply the most. It would have cost him the miracle from God what God gave to him. And so the whole concept, thank God it didn't happen and it wasn't going to happen, but, but that whole event was so significant because the first one created a sense of helplessness. Losing what meant the most to him created a sense of hopelessness. And can't you identify with this? So maybe something bad happens to you. I've had this happen to me and you can't fix it. So you have a sense of helplessness. Or maybe you experience the loss of someone or something precious and you can't get it back. And what's really hard is when that happens to you spiritually and you've lost your joy and you've lost your passion and if you've lost your fire and you've lost your ministry or whatever else and you just can't get it back. There's a sense of hopelessness. And the only way that Abraham was able to effectively deal with the hopelessness and the helplessness was to walk in faith and cling to hope. Now, I just let me stop here because I want to teach, preach, and then I'll preach some more. You walk in faith but cling to hope. And I've heard a lot preached on faith, but sometimes hope is the, the, the one that we don't talk enough about and we don't understand it. We don't. I just think most of the time in church, we don't really understand biblical hope. So let me give you a, a, a statement that should be on the screen that will help you with this. Faith looks to God, the one who promises. But hope looks for the blessing from the one who promises. 
It looks to what has been promised. So faith, your faith grabs a hold of God. It trusts God. It depends on God. It relies on God. It's centered on God. But my hope deals with what I'm asking God for, the blessing, the miracle, the healing. And so I'm hoping that it will happen because I'm trusting God. They work in tandem. So if you are praying and having faith in God, but you're saying, but I'm not sure if he's going to do it. I'm not sure if it's going to happen. I'm not sure if it's going to come to pass. You are not operating in hope. And what you're doing is incomplete because you're asking God for something, but you're not, we say you're not believing for it, but what we should be saying is you're not hoping for it. You're learning? So we should believe in God, but we should hope for what we're praying for. And that hope is an earnest expectation that it will come to pass. Not a maybe, might, possibly. No, this hope says God said it, there's a promise, and it will come to pass. Don't know when, don't know how, but he'll do it again. And that's how Abraham walked. He said, all right, if God said he's going to give me a son, fine. Then I'll, I'll believe him for it. And then he had to hope for 25 years. 25 years. Joseph, at 17, got a promise from God through visions that he was going to be a, the ruler of a country, be at national power, had to wait 13 years, hoped for 13 years that it would come to pass. Went to the prison, the pit, to the prison, eventually ended up in the palace. But he had to wait. He had to endure. Abraham had to wait. He had to endure. You know, what's so cool is your faith grows in levels and Abraham's faith, you know, Abraham's a father of faith. Abraham's faith started out and it was small, but it was strong and, 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 and strong enough, but it needed to mature and it needed to grow. By the time you get to the end of Abraham's life where God tells him to go sacrifice his son, most of them said, no way, you can forget it. God loads that boy up, gets wood and fire and a knife, and they go up to Mount Moriah, and the book of Hebrews tells us that Abraham's faith in God had reached a point that his hope for the expectation was so strong that he believed that if he thrust a knife into his son and killed him, that God in the next instant would resurrect him and raise him back up. Now that is faith, and that is some kind of hope. And isn't that where you want your faith to get? And isn't that where you want your hope to get to the point to where you're not praying a half-minute prayer, but you're praying saying, God, I've claimed this promise, I believe it, and I don't know how long it's going to take, but you will come through, and I'm expecting. How many of you know expectancy is the breeding ground for a miracle? So Abraham trusted God and expected miracles because of two specific things. Let me break this text down. Two specific things, and the writer points this out. Number one, the promise of God. Let me break it down further. The Lord not only promised to give Abraham a son in his old age, which did happen, which was a biological impossibility, but he also promised that his offspring would be as numerous as the stars in the heavens and the sea on the seashore. He promised that he would give his offspring a land of their own, and that is Israel. So by the way, if anybody's wondering Go tell the protesters they're wasting their time long before they ever came along, long before the British or 14 other different people who've lived in Palestine came along. God made a promise that that piece of land over there in the Middle East belonged to Israel. 
See, you heard so much in the news. You, you're a little shocked. Oh, pastor, can you say that? Yes, I can say that because it's right there in the Bible. And I don't care what CNN says. I don't care about all the Palestinian protesters who almost pushed the, the fence down and swarmed the White House yesterday. I don't care what any of them say. Let God be true and every man a liar. People, y'all get so nervous anymore. We can't make, oh, we can't make statements like that. Yes, we can. It's their land. You don't need the UN or anybody else to say it. God already said it thousands of years ago. Okay, you don't have to clap. God said they would have a land of their own and that he said he would bless all nations on earth through his offspring. And this promise constituted the Abrahamic covenant. You with me? In essence, God entered into a pact or an agreement with Abraham. And Abraham knew that God could not lie to him, would not lie to him. So if he said he was going to do something, he would choose it. He would do it. So Abraham chose to believe God, trust God. Here's the cool part. Let me put a little gospel in here. And he not only trusted God for that promise, he just went all the way and trusted him for everything. He just said, I'm not, this is a cool promise. Well, the Lord promised you, I'm going to take all of Bill Gates' money and his whole empire, and I'm going to give it to you. And you're going to do this, and you're going to do that, and you're going to do this. Would you claim that promise? Sure you would. Oh, you'd be hoping like crazy, wouldn't you? Okay. But Abraham said, I'm not just going to trust for the Bill Gates promise. I'm going to trust you for everything. And he believed in God to the fullest extent, and the Bible says it was credited to him for righteousness. See, what, what does that mean? In New Testament terms, old Abraham got saved. He went to the altar and got saved. That's what it means. He got saved. He, be, he became redeemed. He became righteous, a righteous man by the righteousness of God. Just like when you get saved today, God takes and washes all your sins away when you put your faith in Jesus. And he puts his righteousness to your account. I told him in growth track, when you're in sin, it's like having a debt that is so big, you'll never be able to pay it off. But Jesus died on the cross, and he paid off your debt, but didn't just bring you back to zero. He took all the righteousness of God, which can never end, and put it into your account. So you, might, you probably are Bill Gates already. Hallelujah. So if you are saved... What the writer of Hebrews is doing, he tries to connect these dots. You are in a covenant relationship with God. It's called the new covenant that's in the blood of Jesus Christ. So consequently, and this is what jumps from me in this text, because Hebrews talks a lot about the Jews and Israel and, 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 and of course, the Jews that are getting saved. But, but what I'm also understanding that the writer does this is he connects the dots that because you're in a covenant with God, then you are a recipient of the promises of God. Aren't you glad for that? So 2 Peter 1.4 declares that God has given us exceedingly great and precious promises. And you all don't even stop long enough to think about all of them. A lot of them you assume, but you don't even stop long enough to think about them, okay? Did you know you're promised the constant presence of God in your life? What? Yeah. He said, I'll never leave you, and I'll never forsake you. Lo, I am with you always, even in the world. I will give you the spirit of truth who will abide with you for 
He is an ever-present help in the time of trouble. That's a promise. And when, like we sang this morning, you don't feel him, that doesn't change the fact that he's still there. What a promise. How about the promise that he'll hear you when you pray? You've done it so much, you take it for granted. That's a promise. Sinners can't do that. Sinners can pray. Doesn't do any good. Somebody one time years ago said, oh, all the Satanists are fasting against the Christians. And my college professor said, good, because all you're going to have is a bunch of hungry Satanists. Because it's not going to work. Who are they fasting to? Nothing's going to happen. Okay? But we who are born again, oh, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. And the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. Call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you know not. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Are you getting the point? We have these promises. I can talk to a divine being. So we have all these wonderful promises that are out of the covenant of God. So what does that mean? Like Abraham, you can trust God for the fulfillment of promises to you. He is faithful. He wants you to trust him so he can work a miracle in your life. There's the promise of God. The second thing is the oath made by God. Now, this is very interesting. Hang with you. I'm going to preach in a minute. The oath made by God. In Genesis 22, God told Abraham, I've made many promises to you. and You've battled some doubt. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to swear an oath to you that I will do what I said I will do. And here's the oath. Surely blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply you. All right. In Abraham's day, still true to some extent today, an oath was legally binding. So God legally bound himself to Abraham to fulfill his promises. Now, how? listen, y'all smart people. I pastor smart people. Does God have to swear on an oath for us to believe him? He can't lie, right? He can't lie, all right? And that's why... You know, now I, I have to help y'all all the time because some of y'all have habits you need to break. And when you're trying to tell me something, don't say, I swear to God. Or I swear. Okay, you don't have to do that to me. If you're saved, you don't have to try to somehow appeal to the greater to get me to believe you. Your yes should be yes. And if you tell me no, your no should be no. It's that simple. You, you're saved now. You don't have to prove. If you have to prove anything to me, it's going to make me wonder if you're saved. It's going to make me wonder, are you, are you lying to me about other things? Do you notice there's people who lie to have to swear to God about things? People who lie too much have to swear to God to try to get you to believe them. So y'all need to quit doing that. The Bible says you're not supposed to swear, but let you yes be yes, let you no be no. I'm just trying to help y'all. And quit driving in the left lane too slow. Just trying to help y'all. Learn things in church. I've actually considered doing a series on all the hang-ups that I have and the way people do things. Try to help people. Chew with your mouth closed. Don't chew that piece of gum like you're a cow working a cud. Makes you look ugly. 
Don't clip your nails in public. I got a whole list. <laughs> Stop chewing your nails. Clip them. Oh, some of you sat down on me on that one, didn't you? That's why everybody's got COVID. It's your fault. Sticking your fingers in your mouth. I have totally lost the anointing right now. It's all gone. A few of you are about to go to sleep. You're awake now. Here's what I know. All right, let me go in. So why did God swear? Did God swear for himself? Y'all smart, right? Who did, who did he do it for? He did for Abraham, didn't he? He said, this is the kind of thing y'all are used to. I swear to tell the truth. Right hand. Right. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God, I do. Right? We swear every day, and people go into court, swear to, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, the we're appealing, so help you God. We're always appealing the great. There's nobody greater than God. But God said, swearing an oath is what makes you guys on the earth feel confident that it's a settled matter. Y'all with me? So God said, I don't have to swear, but I'm going to do it for you. So I'm going to swear to nobody. It's nobody greater than me, so I'll swear to myself. So God said, I swear to me. He didn't say, I swear to God. He said, I swear to me. Somebody just went right over your head. And he said, Abraham, surely blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply you. So listen to me. Here's what I know. Some things I know. Here's what I know. God is immutable. Y'all know what that word means? It means he doesn't change. Immutability means unchangeableness. It's one of the characteristics of God. He's, he's sovereign. He's holy. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, eternal. He's unchanging, immutable. Okay? Behold, I'm the Lord God. I change not. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and that's the immutability of God. So that's what I know. God is immutable. Second thing, this verse tells me these two things, the promise of God and his oath to fulfill the promise are immutable. Y'all still with me? They haven't changed. Y'all still with me? They haven't changed. God gives a promise. God makes an oath. What's going to happen? It's going to happen. Okay, three. The promise to bless and multiply, this is the cool part that I read, was not applicable solely to Abraham. That promise to bless and multiply. Listen, we don't need a kid. You don't need a kid in your old age. All the senior adults right now are going, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Okay, we don't need a kid in old age. We don't need an offspring that's going to have land. We already got all that. That's Israel. But God comes back. Are y'all seeing this? Y'all got to see this. You're going to miss it. But then God comes back and says, well, let me just add a little something. Because this is going to carry over from you, Abraham, to all the people that are going to be blessed by you. Surely blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply. Now, I know for Abraham that meant the multiplication of offspring. But you can also be multiplied in other ways. And so here's what I know. The promise to bless was not just Abraham. That promise carries over to God's people today. So here you go. Thus, if God does not change and his word does not change, and he has promised to come through for you, and he has promised blessing is your destiny, then it doesn't matter what you are going through today. If you'll put your trust in the Lord, if you'll put your hope in the Lord, he will come through for you, and he will turn things around in your life. Does anybody believe it in this house? Can I get a witness in the house today? <laughs> Hallelujah. He'll do it. Did it for Abraham, he'll do it for you. And that's why there's always hope for the people of God. Let me say something to you that ought to grab you. Because if you're struggling today, as long as there is a God, there's always hope for you. And there'll always be a God. Your hope 
the expectation of the answer, the expectation of the solution, the healing, the miracle, the breakthrough is going to be an anchor for your soul. You all know what an anchor is. An anchor is a device connected to a ship by a rope or a cable that grips something solid on the ocean floor and it holds the ship in place. I have a bass boat. And when I bought my bass boat, I didn't get these because my style of fishing, I didn't need them. But some guys on their bass boat have what's called power poles. Anybody got a bass boat with power poles on it? Let me see your hand. Anybody in the house? There you go. See, Greg's got one. Got a few people. Okay, power poles. There are these two tall things on the back of the boat. And they can hit a little button. And, and, and these rods, if you will, go down. And they go down. And if you're in the water, say it's, I don't know how deep it can be, six feet, seven feet. Those, they rods go down they, and they go down into the mud in the floor of the lake. And they hold the boat still. So if the wind's blowing, the waves are blowing, you're trying to fish, bed fish, it can hold you still instead of you fighting the trolling motor all the time, trying to get it back in the right place. You put it down. Okay? That's, that's kind of an anchor. I've gone fishing with some guys from the church, and we'll anchor down because we're fishing for stripers and catfish, and we don't want to be drifting all over Lake Hartwell and, and going every which direction, end up on the shore. So we anchor the boat down. It locks you in. And I know, listen, I've thrown that anchor and pulled it in so many times. Sometimes we throw the anchor out and it just doesn't grab anything and the boat keeps moving. And then all of a sudden it'll lodge on a rock or lodge on a, on, on a car that somebody drove into Harwell. I don't know. But it lodges onto something and it, and it holds fast. You got it? You got the idea? Okay, listen. Without an anchor, the, sh- the ship will drift aimlessly. The boat will drift. It'll go where the wind and waves dictate it to go, not where you want it to go. So I've done all this preaching and teaching to get here today now and just talk to you. And I love you so much, but I know what God's laid in my spirit, and I know this is the year of recovery and breakthrough and restoration. Some of you feel like you're without an anchor. You're drifting aimlessly. No purpose, no passion. Some of you have lost all expectation of something good happening in your life. You're incapable of seeing the bright, positive things. You've almost gotten negative about the future. You live in a constant state of desperation and despair. You can't find a solution. You can't find a way out. And then Satan comes along and is telling you that you will never recover what you have lost. And your spiritual drive is gone and your aspirations for ministry are gone and you feel like Abraham, you feel helpless and hopeless. You feel like the little boy at the supermarket with his mother. He said, Mama, I want some chocolate chip cookies. And his mother said, No, you're not getting any chocolate chip cookies. And she's going down now. But Mama, I want some chocolate chip cookies, please. He said the magic word. No, you're not getting cookies. He begged again, Mama, please, won't you buy me some chocolate chip cookies at this point? She said, no, she's got everything, and she's in the checkout line. Please, Mama, son, you're about to get in trouble. He stands up in the grocery cart. For some of you, that's a buggy. Our Yankee members move down here and say, a what? It's a grocery cart. But we call it a buggy. We hook the horse up later. 
He stood up in the grocery cart and he said, oh, Jesus. Mama won't give me any cookies. Please make a way for some cookies. Kids will do crazy things. Mama said, sit down. No. Oh, Jesus, please, I need some cookies. My mama won't get many people in the line saying, why don't that woman buy that boy some cookies? <laughs> she hears them. He just keeps on praying. Finally, she just says, would you hold on a minute? And she goes over there to find some Nabisco or something or another, you know, comes back with two packs of cookies and gives the boy what he wants. You say, how, how am I like that little boy? Because some of you have got in the checkout line and you've checked out on God, you've checked out on the church, you've checked out on faith, you've checked out on hope, you've checked out on any chance of getting your miracle and the devil's over in the corner laughing. I came here this morning to tell you, you need to do like that little boy and have some faith in God and stand up and pray and yell and say, God, give me what I can't get from nobody else. I'm not gonna be like my mama and check out. I'm gonna trust you, and if you'll call out to the Lord, I'm telling you, God will come through for you. Get out of the checkout line and check on what God wants to do for you. God told me to come to you and tell you there is hope for you. Don't you give up on God. Don't you give up on your miracle. Don't you give up on your breakthrough. Keep believing because on the other end of the line where your anchor is, you know where it's hooked to? God. It's hooked to Almighty God. No matter where you are, how hopeless you feel, hear me. God can change you. God can change your circumstance. Can I say that again? God can change you. Don't you, don't you take this hopeless state. Don't Again, like I preached last night, don't you get into the absolutes. I'll never change. It'll always be this way. Don't you do that. That closes the door to God. God can change you. I have a pessimistic friend who says people never change, but I don't believe that. Because I believe in the power of the gospel and I believe in the power of God to help us recover what we've lost. To help us become what we once were. And I believe the latter days will be greater than the former. Because that's hope. And the writer said what I'm preaching will be a strong consolation to you. That word means a strong assurance. A source of encouragement. I just got to tell you all today, breakthrough is coming. Your healing's coming. Your deliverance is coming. The victory's coming. The miracle's coming. What you've prayed and longed for and wondered if it'll ever come to pass, just hang on. It is coming. Because here's what Paul says, and I referenced it when I read the text. Paul says your hope, your expectation that God is gonna come through and give you what you're praying for, that hope will take you by the hand and lead you behind the thick veil into the temple, into the holy of holies. And he says it will cause you to experience the Shekinah glory and the presence of Jesus. And you'll be the recipient of the high priestly minister of Jesus who will intercede for you to his father. So when you trust God and you have hope, hope takes you back and says, come here, I'm gonna take 
take you behind the curtain and show you what's back here. This is the glory. This is the presence. This is Jesus, the high priest. This is the one that's talking to the Father and interceding for you. This is the one that gave his life for you. This is the one who can do anything. Do you see him? When you go back out, don't forget what you saw. Hope says, look, do you see who he is? So that when you go back out, you say, I've seen who he is. I know what he can do. My, my whole mindset has changed. He's Jesus. He saved me. He, can, he gave his life on a cross. He came out of a tomb and resurrection power. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He's my high priest. He's talking to Papa God. I got the Holy Ghost who's a comforter and encourager and an advocate and a one who's to, I got them all pulling for me. The angels of heaven are waiting to be dispatched on my behalf. I'm gonna get my miracle. See it? Come on, musician. Please. I got a phone call this week. God knows just how to put everything together. I got a phone call this week from one of the precious ladies in our church. Her name's Catherine. She gave me permission to give her testimony. Two, three, three years ago, I guess 2020, I'm assuming, she had some real bad back problems, had that back surgery. I remember when she had that. And I guess to a degree it's helped her. She's done okay, but recently she started having some more serious back problems. I'm talking about un unbelievable pain, numbness, debilitating. I've been there. 2014, I was debilitated. I wondered if I, my ministry was over. Now, some of you who are newer, you're not gonna know this, and some of you have already forgotten. But on December the 10th, we came in here. We had a good service. It's a good service. I thought it was done. I got over about right here, and the Holy Spirit said, We ain't through. Sing, you rascal. And I stepped off this platform and I started singing, The blood will never lose its power. And when I did, the Holy Ghost fell in this place, and y'all got down to this altar, and people lined up in here, and I started laying hands on people. Now, some people don't believe in this. You know, they make fun. You go ahead and make fun. But there are times that are real. And you don't even have to have somebody lay hands on you. But when a minister who's anointed by God will lay hands on you and the power and the glory of God will strike you. And the Hebrew word for glory is kabod. It means weightiness, heaviness. You think of heavy weights you're lifting in a gym. That's the glory of God. And there are times when a minister lays hands on you and you're in the presence and the glory of God, it's so heavy you can't stand up under it. Your knees buckle and you go to the ground. I don't push people down. I just lay hands on them. But sometimes the glory is so strong you can't stand up under it. And I didn't get the full story. I'm wanting to think that when I prayed for her, she fell out. Whether she did or not doesn't matter. She got in the glory and the presence. She got, listen to me, she got behind the veil. Her case was hopeless and helpless and she had been to a surgeon who told her we're gonna to have to do a four to six hour surgery and put rods and pins and screws and plates. You're gonna have six months recovery. It was gonna be a major thing. She didn't wanna do that. But that morning she came down to the altar at High Praises Church on December 10th and a preacher was about to, about to turn it off and let you go when the Holy Spirit said no. We gotta, mm. when the glory hits you, you might act like that. Stick your finger in a socket and see if you just stand there. Mm. The Holy Ghost said, no, I got, I got somebody I need to take behind the veil. 
you didn't hear me. He said, I got somebody I need to take behind the veil. I got somebody that's been praying and needs an answer to the prayer. Don't you stop. Get down here and start saying. I started saying, you came down here and she got prayer and I think she went out. Whether she did or not, when she got up, every bit of pain was gone. The numbness left her immediately. No more debilitation. She said, Pastor, that was December 10th. She called me this week. She said, I'm fine. There's nothing wrong. She said, I wanted to tell you God healed me. God, you feel what I feel. You better act like it. She said, God healed me. You hear this preacher? There is hope. There is hope. When the doctor says, this is all we can do, I'm telling you, God says there is hope. When the attorney says, this is, we've done everything we can do, there's still hope. When, when, when the banker says, we can't give you any more money, that's all right. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the hills themselves. God's got all the real estate and the money in the world. He'll find a way where there is no way. There is hope. I'm telling you today, when you say my ministry's gone, I don't feel God. I'm walking through the wilderness. I wish I could just feel the Holy Ghost one more time. It's okay. The rain will fall. The, the wind will blow. Weeping endures for the night, but there's a promise. Joy comes in the morning. I don't know how long your night's gonna last, but joy's coming. The morning's coming. The sun will rise again. Are you hearing me? There is always hope. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings in person or online at 10 a.m. For more information or to watch our services online, please visit us at www.highpraises.org or check us out on social media.